Okay. <laughs> if you remember the story of Philip and the eunuch, uh, the eunuch is reading a text from Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah 53, and he's confused because he's wondering what was his question. Who is this man speaking about? Himself yeah. or somebody else? Yes, exactly. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Isaiah 53 and who it's speaking about. So we're going to open up with just showing some of the phrases from Isaiah 53. We're going to look at the whole chapter later, and the text really begins at the end of chapter 52. But just to remind ourselves of some of the core things in this text, let's look at some of the things this text says it was written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. All right, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Um, the transgress for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He shall bear their iniquities. He bear the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's some other important things in the text that we'll look at later, but that's a, a few of the verses. Now, this is one of uh, what we call the servant songs in Isaiah, and Stephen's going to introduce that to us a little bit here. Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, so if you pick up the book of Isaiah, it's kind of interesting that the book of Isaiah divides up, kind of like the Bible divides up. Uh, I, the Bible has 66 books in it. Isaiah has 66 chapters. Uh, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New the book of Isaiah roughly, again, this is not a dogmatic way to divide the book, but it roughly divides up into the first 39 chapters and then the last 27 chapters. Beginning in Isaiah 40, there's a shift in the tone of the book. And in Isaiah 40, through the end of the book, this is a, a section of where Isaiah is really looking more to the future. Uh, he, he's predicting the coming of the Messiah, the age to come, and there's a lot of beautiful passages that are quoted in the New Testament. Um, Isaiah is one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. But one of the features of this latter part of Isaiah is there are these passages that are, have come to be called the servant songs because Isaiah starts talking about the servant of the Lord. And what's kind of interesting, I think Scott will talk more about this in just a minute, is there are different servants of the Lord in this latter section of Isaiah. But there are four main passages that most people point out, like these are kind of the servant songs. Uh, Isaiah 42 is the first one, verses 1 through 9 or so talk about the character of the servant, um, and it's just quoted about Jesus uh, in the book of Matthew. The second servant song is a few chapters later in Isaiah 49, 
uh, and runs from about verse one uh, down through verse seven, at least. Again, some of these, it's hard to know exactly when they begin and end. Um, and then the next one is the very next chapter. I, pretty much all of Isaiah 50 is the third servant song. And then we get to the fourth and final servant song. Um, and that's the one we're going to look more closely at today. And that starts at the end of Isaiah 52 and runs into Isaiah 53. So Steve, I have a question for you, Stephen. Who uh, identified them as the servants, servant songs? Is it just us people or does it's a longstanding tradition? I don't know who, who did that okay. first, but that's a pretty widely recognized uh, way of identifying these passages. Did the ancients look at those passages and use them in their singing? You know, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if they were actually sung. I'm not sure why the, the term song got attached to them, okay. but uh, there are sections of Isaiah that are poetry, so I guess it could have been sung. Sure. Yeah, uh, my guess, and this is out of my wheelhouse entirely, but I would suspect that like in Isaiah 53, that kind of the metric uh, quality of the text is probably uh, Hebrew poetry form. Does anybody know if that's the case or not? Hebrew poetry actually very rarely uses meter like our English poetry does. Oh. Um, but you'll see it in your Bible if it's if the, the Bible editors believe it to be poetry, that's where you get those line breaks. And if that's the case, then really almost all of that latter portion of Isaiah, and actually a lot of the first part of Isaiah, is Hebrew poetry. And I wonder if some of that was because not everybody had their own scroll of Isaiah. And so a lot of the prophets would communicate in poetry, and that would make it easier to memorize if you were not, uh, you know, didn't have your own scroll of Isaiah. Um, they would give God's words to you in a poetic way that was a lot easier to remember if you were just hearing it, and that's the only way you were exposed to it. So that may be another reason these are called the servant songs. And servant songs, because they refer to my servant. Now, before we go further, uh, Stephen or anybody, could you give us one key verse or point or phrase from each of those other three? So Isaiah 42, probably the most famous verse from it, it says, Isaiah 42, verse 2, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Right. That image of him not extinguishing a smoldering wick, you know, a flame that's just about to go out, he's going to take care of that and not finish it off. Isaiah 49 is the next one, and this one's rather interesting. Um, it talks about uh, the servant, and it talks about him becoming a light to the Gentiles or a light to the nations. Isaiah 49 and verse 6, it says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And that will be quoted about Jesus, but also about the apostles, actually, in the New Testament as they take the gospel into the world. And Isaiah 50, one of my favorite ones here, it, it talks about the suffering of Jesus, not in as much detail as we're about to read in Isaiah 52 and 53, but it says in verse Isaiah 50, verses 5 and 6, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. 
but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. So right. the servant is one who's suffering, but who's putting his trust in the Lord. Very good. So this text, when the eunuch is going to say, who is this talking about? Acts chapter 8 says, Philip began at this passage and preached to him Jesus. One of the messages of the New Testament is that this is Jesus. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, when, uh, well, in, in Luke 24, after Jesus rises from the dead, he explained the scriptures to the apostles that the Christ had to suffer and die. In uh, in Acts chapter 17, Paul would go into a synagogue and he would show from the scriptures, you know, that it pointed to the sufferings of Christ, etc. However, unbelievers would say this is not Jesus, and one claim is that this is the servant. Israel. Israel is the servant. And so first, let's look at the support for that. Uh, so if you talk to someone and they say, no, no, this is not a prediction of Jesus. The servant in Isaiah is the nation of Israel. So let's see the case that can be made for that. Isaiah 41 verse 8, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, Isaiah 44, but now here, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. And somebody just remind us, who is Jacob? He's Israel. He's uh, uh, Abraham's grandson. Right. Father, Abraham's father of the 12, uh, the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes. The father of the 12 tribes, and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Israel. So these, you can read these synonymously. Uh, and then again in uh, chapter 45, for the sake of my servant, Jacob, and Israel, my chosen. Uh, verse 20 of chapter 48, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout, proclaim it, send it to the end of the earth. The Lord has redeemed who? His servant. His servant, Jacob. And then again in Isaiah 49, he said, who is the servant? Servant Israel. Yeah, so I'll make the case here and you guys respond. Right there, instead of Philip saying, oh, this is about Jesus, if he would have looked at the context, he could have seen, no, this is the nation of Israel. Response. One of the things we're going to see is actually right in the same context of Isaiah 49, uh, just a couple verses later, he says uh, in verse five, now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has given, and my God has become my strength. We, we see that the servant um, is also distinct from Israel and has been raised up to bring salvation to Israel. Okay, so in some texts, my servant is Israel, but then in the text you cited, my servant is the one that's going to bring Israel back. And so the fact is, there's more than one servant in Isaiah. Question number one, is Israel the only my servant in Isaiah? Well, 
Who's the servant in Isaiah 20? Isaiah himself. Yeah. Then the Lord said, as my servant, Isaiah, who's, the ser my, who's my servant in Isaiah 22? Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Yeah. Now, would I be in context or out of context if I claimed that Isaiah was Eliakim? <laughs> it seems like taking that out of context, trying yeah. to conflate the two. Yeah, the second one in Isaiah 22 isn't talking about Isaiah, it's talking about Eliakim. And the one in chapter 20 isn't talking about Eliakim, it's talking about Isaiah. Who's my servant in Isaiah 37? David. Yes, so David is obviously Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Again, no, it's, we've got three different people in these verses referred to as my servant. And then in 41, my servant, Jacob, etc. Now notice this, when he's talking about the nation, how does he describe his servant in 42.19? Not in good terms, negative terms, in fact. Let's read that. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? Uh, are you saying he's accusing his servant here to be blind? Uh, I'm, I'm sure this is figurative, but yet he's... He was considered a dedicated one, but he's blind. Well, what does it mean by dedicated there? What would you say it means, my dedicated one? Someone called out to be holy, supposed to be dedicated to the service of God. Yes. The nation was to be consecrated to God's service. Did that mean they acted like it? Not most of the time. So Not according to this verse. Well, let's go back to Isaiah 1, in fact. Are you saying that that word, it's being um, figuratively speaking? Not, not even figuratively, there's a word I'm looking at, Sarcast, little sarcasm there? Um, I don't know that it's sarcasm, it, 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 maybe read it that way, but the point is, let, let's take the church at Laodicea. Was the church at Laodicea a righteous, faithful group by the time they were addressed in Revelation 3? No, they thought they were. were. No. Yeah, they thought they were, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. It says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You're lukewarm. Uh, you, you think you're in good shape, but you're not. But these people had come to Christ. So they had dedicated, they had called on him as Lord. They had made a commitment to him, but they haven't followed through on that commitment. All right. So the nation of Israel in the book of Isaiah, let this, somebody just sample for us out of Isaiah 1. Give us a few verses to describe the moral, spiritual condition uh, of Israel from Isaiah 1. Well, in Isaiah 1, verse 2, uh, it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And he goes on to talk about the sinful nation. Um, yeah, verse 4. Uh, he says, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. So okay. clearly they, uh, they have left the Lord. Right. And in fact, really, if you pick up and open up in just about any historical book of the Old Testament, 
um, if you open up to the book of Judges, is it full of verses like this? And Israel obeyed God. <laughs> no. uh, Kings and Chronicles, do most of the verses talk about, and the king was faithful and holy, and the people were faithful and holy? Not at all. Nope. No, it, it, it's, it, there's a tension there of their breaking the covenant and God calling them back to the covenant, cursings coming upon them because they're breaking the covenant, prophets urging to repentance, etc. And Isaiah is one of those prophets. So this servant is deaf and blind. How is the servant in Isaiah 53 described? Acting wisely in verse 13. And righteous. Yeah. So keep in mind that difference. This servant is blind and deaf, but the Isaiah 53 is the innocent one in who the, there is no guile in his mouth. Uh, he's righteous. So keep that in mind. All right, let's look at this further now. All right, um, here's another one uh, where Jacob is the servant. Um, and then look at the final one here, Isaiah 48. Who needed to be redeemed? The servant Jacob. Yeah, the servant Jacob needs to be redeemed. Who's going to redeem, who does the redeeming of the servant Jacob? The servant described in chapter 53. But in Isaiah 48, how is it described? Right there on the screen. The Lord. The Lord has redeemed my servant, his servant, Jacob. So Jacob is the servant that's wicked and sinful and needs to be redeemed. So right? I don't forget this. What you're saying is that there are people who say that the servant in 53 is really the, the servant, the nation of Israel. What you're showing is there's more than one servant identified, and some are uh, righteous, some aren't, some are faithful, some aren't. And one of the big differences to watch for in Isaiah 53 is regards to that question, is it the nation of Israel or is it the Messiah, is th these two points of contrast, the one and the many, the righteous and the sinful. In Isaiah 53, we're going to see that there is one righteous servant who dies to save the many sinful. Well, from the other parts of uh, Isaiah, and in, in, in a text that we just saw talking about my servant Jacob, it wasn't my righteous servant Jacob. It was my blind and deaf servant Jacob. And in Isaiah 1, it, it's a rebellious people, but he wants to. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And Isaiah 53 will show how that will happen. Let's go ahead and go through this chart, and then we're going to start going through the text. And if one of you could have Blue Letter of Bible ready for us to just go through the text. And uh, then, uh, oh, but I want to leave room to do the Metabreen video. Uh, anybody have a preference if we do the MetaBream video before going through the text or go through the text first? Anyways, fine. Well, you, I, the video might work because I was going to raise the question where you started was with the question, Isaiah, I'm sorry, uh, the uh, eunuch didn't understand who Isaiah was. I'm sorry, who this servant was. He was coming back from Jerusalem. I'm assuming then he was worshiping as a Jew. Yes. And at that point in time, maybe they did think that 
Isaiah was a prophecy referring to, uh, or some did, that this, I, this servant here in Isaiah is Israel. And he's looking at it, so wait a minute, something doesn't make sense here. He's wondering who it is. I don't know that anybody back then believed it was the nation. He doesn't know who it is. As I believe around the 1200s or the 12th century, there was a Orthodox Jewish rabbi that said it was talking about the Messiah, but he didn't believe the Messiah was Jesus. But he did believe it was talking about the Messiah. Um, the idea that it is the nation of Israel is the current uh, rabbinical interpretation. I don't know about the common interpretation of the first century, but the eunuch clearly does not know who it's speaking to. Right. Good point. Good point. Pick up the pace here because we want to make sure to get the whole text in the MetaBring video. Go ahead. Let's notice this. Um, notice it. Watch for the contrast as we go through. Who is the one righteous servant that saves the many of the sinful servant? The nation was the blind servant. The Lord redeems that servant. And uh, here again, look at this. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Yeah, so this servant isn't just going to redeem and save Israel and Jacob that needs, that they, like us, need those sins that be as scarlet, made white as snow. We've all got that same problem. Um, this says, my servant is not only going to bring back Jacob, he's going to offer this for Jacob and Israel, bring them back. He's also going to be a light for the nations, my servant shall act wisely. Out of anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied by knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, he will bear their iniquities. You see there the difference between the one and the many? The righteous one will make many accounted righteous. He will bear their iniquities. A group of wicked people are not one righteous person dying for those that group of wicked people. This is a different servant. Um, let's look real quickly. I'm going to go through this, and then uh, we'll turn over, and one of you take us through the text itself. How much time do we have? Yeah, about 20 minutes. Okay, all right. So let's go through this kind of quickly, but it's really powerful. So this is a video from metabream.org.il. I wouldn't agree with everything in the video when they get to how to respond to Christ. Uh, I think they've left out in, important biblical information there. But the point about Isaiah 53 is really, really powerful. So with this, this is a young Jewish man, and he's talking to other people, both, it looks like probably on the streets of New York, perhaps. Uh, and uh, New York? That, that looks like New York? No, some of the people, there's two locations that they oh. film, it looks like. This is Jerusalem, uh, but some of the video is going to take place, looks like, probably in the streets of New York. So okay. watch for the interviews here. We're gonna, I'm going to show these screenshots from this, and if you want to see their video in full, 
Uh, you can find them on Facebook. You can go to YouTube. If you'll Google Forbidden Chapter by Meta and Metabreen, uh, or if you just go to metabreen.org.il, you can see the whole video. And again, I would not endorse everything in it, but this is really, really powerful. So here's just some of the screenshots. Uh, the Forbidden Chapter in Hebrew, Isaiah 53, metabreen.org. Uh, the Forbidden Chapter in the Hebrew Bible. He says, there's a chapter in this book that's not the Hebrew Bible that used to be read in synagogues in the past. And by the way, if you're watching the video, it's in Hebrew. Oh, um, most of it's in Hebrew. That used to be read in the synagogues in the past. But later, the rabbis decided to take it out of the yearly reading. Now, this same interview is done with several people. So you'll see the people pop in and out because it's the same basic interview done over and over and over. Today, it's considered the forbidden chapter. Have you ever heard of it? And the man says, I haven't heard about it. Do you want to see what's hidden in this chapter? And she says, do you have it? And he responds, I have it here. And it's not the, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, and this young fellow says, I would like to know as much as possible. The chapter is Isaiah 53, the interviewer says, a very important prophecy about who the Messiah would be. So now we'll come to the fun part. We'll read some of the verses from this chapter, and then we'll see what it says. Isaiah 53, 3, and the fellow reads it from the Hebrew. Somebody read Isaiah 53, 3 for us, please. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces, he was, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And then this fellow says, it's written that he will be a man that is despised and rejected by society. And then he continues to read, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked. And then the interviewer says, what is the final result of his suffering? He died. He died. And this fellow says, so basically, they blamed him for things he didn't do, and he was punished for it. Interesting. He died, but not an honorable death. First of all, have you heard this about the Messiah, that all these things would happen to him? And the interviewers are already established that back a few hundred years ago, a rabbi had said that it was messianic. And this fellow says, no, he had not heard that. This fellow says, no. This lady says, not that, no. Isaiah 53, five through six, somebody read that for us, please. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I got it. According to the verses, he will absorb our sickness and evil, and that will heal us. He will basically be a person who is punished. He will take upon himself all of the, and this guy says, he took everything upon himself. And this lady says, all of our sins, all the evil we've done, this heavy punishment, was placed upon one man? The interviewer says, so now based on those descriptions from the Tanakh, is there anyone in history that has fulfilled these things? And the lady says, no, I don't know of someone who did, do you? This fellow says, no, not that I know of. And this fellow says, yes, you. 
which would be the, the Hebrew language way of saying Jesus. And then he says, I think I haven't heard these things because when the conversation turns to Yeshua, there's already some kind of barrier where people don't even want to think about it. People look at him like, just like that verse said, they rejected him. And it ends with, could we have missed our own Messiah? Right, somebody pull up the text and let's start reading through from the top and just reading through the text. Maybe read a few verses and then turn over somebody else, read a few, etc. Somebody gets one. Yeah, so I'll uh, have it on the screen. Uh, it starts in Isaiah 52 in verse 13. Um, so it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind, so that he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told the, them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. And then into chapter 53, who has believed what he has heard from us? Uh, some people might be looking at this on their phone. Could you enlarge that for us, Jonathan? Yeah stretch it out a bit, and then if somebody can pick up and read uh, through verse 3, please. <clears throat> Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. All right, let's have a little bit of comment now, keeping an eye on the clock. How do verses two and three tie into the life of Jesus? Well, he was born as a uh, carpenter's son. Uh, he was of the city of Nazareth, which was a despised city. In fact, in the gospel of John, um, whenever John the Baptist identifies him as the Lamb of God um, and people are starting to follow Jesus, uh, one of the uh, people that's going to be following him eventually, Nathaniel, uh, is told that uh, they've found the Messiah and he's from Nazareth and he says, what good can come out of Nazareth? Yeah. Um, so there's just kind of a general stigma about where he came from. But. Yeah. So if you see a little plant coming up just out of a dry ground, how much... How much are you expecting to come from that? Not much. Not, not yeah, too much. You're, you're not expecting a whole lot from that. But that's what's incredible, though, because not only is he's distinct, uh, he, he's the arm of the Lord as well as being a human that's coming out of a little tender shoot. He, verse 1 says he, the, he's the arm of the Lord. And the term arm of the Lord is, is a powerful term because that's how, uh, if I recall right, I think it's about when he took a uh, the Jews out of Egypt and saved them. It was his powerful arm that he did it with. All right. And, and yet, how do people react to him in verse three? Reject them. They reject them. They don't. Not despised and rejected. Yeah. Uh, all right. So somebody read for us, please, verse four through six. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he, has, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his, his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Okay, so there in verse 4, how did people act? while Jesus was on the cross. Haunted him, saying that for so long he's claimed that he was the son of God, that he had this power, and if God delights in him, let him save him. <laughs> yeah, and were these just, just they are being cruel, but do they think they're being cruel to an innocent person? No, they think that he's a blasphemer. Yeah, and so they think he what? Smitten by God. Yeah, yeah, he deserves this. He's, it's, he deserves this. And yet he, watch the transference, he was pierced. Why? For our sins, our transgressions. He was crushed. Why? Our iniquities. I've, when I'm teaching one-on-one, -on -one, one of the most powerful things to do is to substitute my name in there and Jesus' name in there to just think about the meaning of it. Jesus was pierced for Scott's transgressions. Jesus was crushed for Scott's iniquities. Upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought Scott peace. With Jesus' wounds, Scott is healed. And if you read that for yourself um, and just think about what he did for you, it's an exceedingly powerful passage. All we like sheep have gone astray. The same point is made in Romans 3.23 with what words? All have sinned. Yeah. All have sinned. We have turned everyone to his own way because that's what sin is. It's doing things our way instead of God's way. And what has the Lord done? Laid all of that on him. All right. Somebody take us through the next paragraph. Seven through nine, please. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So this first part, verse seven, uh, I met a friend is from the southern part of Africa and his family there has an open range ranch. In other words, the animals are not fenced in, they're, they're, they're free to roam and such. Uh, and he, he was showing me, some, I wanted to see some pictures of the ranch and he showed me where they were slaughtering an animal and I was asking what type of animal it was. And I think it was a goat. And then he said this to me, and I, I, I really struck me. He said, I don't mind, he doesn't mind slaughtering goats. He said, but I hate to slaughter a sheep. He says, because they don't fight at all. They just take it. They don't say anything, you know, they don't. They, and it reminded me of this, this verse. He, is, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, 
like a sheep that before his shears is silent, he didn't open his mouth. And this is the section the eunuch was reading. Um, they didn't realize he's actually being cut off out of the land of the living for what? For the sin of the people. Yeah. Now verse nine, they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death. Um, I meant to have, but I don't have it with me. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls Bible, which is the translation into English of the Hebrew biblical scrolls found at the Dead Sea. At the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's made up of both sectarian documents that are not in your Bible, belong to that sect, but they also had copies of the biblical books. Uh, they found every part of all of the biblical books uh, as they counted them, except for one. They haven't found part of Esther there. But uh, I, the great Isaiah scroll, which you can look at online if you want to see it, you're looking, you look at the great Isaiah scroll online, just Google great Isaiah scroll and, and you can find it and you can scroll through and look at it. And you can look at this part in the Hebrew. It's not the first original copy, but it's a copy that's written, say, 150 years or so before the birth of Jesus. Um, the, the text is almost the same. There is a variance here in one of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls manuscripts. It says, and with a rich man in his tomb, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was something to that effect. And, of course, that immediately brings to mind what? Joseph of Arimathea, rich man, has his own tomb, and he lays Jesus in his own tomb. Yeah. So somebody take us through the last part. Verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, I was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Discussion. It's powerful here to see that this was actually all according to the will of God. Um, even the injustice and the, the terrible things that happen here God is making a way for people to be made right with him. So he's making intercession for them through his servant. And he says in verse 11 that it's through the death of this servant, the righteous one, his servant, will make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. It's amazing that we all stand before God and we're not righteous. No, no one has been righteous. But through the death of the servant in this prophecy, he's going to make many to be counted righteous because he is bearing their iniquities. And so, that's a powerful thought. So though their sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. That's right. Going back to Isaiah 1. And uh, it talks about his exaltation again here at the end of this psalm. What's interesting is this uh, song began in Isaiah 52, 13, saying, my servant's going to be exalted. And you think, oh, this is going to be great. And then it's a record of his sorrows and his burdens. 
but it does end with exaltation. In verse 12, he's going to divide the portion with the strong. It's kind of like after a great military victory, they're dividing up the spoils of war. That's what's going to happen is he's going to be given the, the bounty of victory after he accomplishes the Lord's will because he was willing to pour out his soul to death and bear the sin of many. Uh, he's now going to be able to make, trans, uh, make intercession for the transgressors. What a contrast there, because in verse 10, it says he'll pour his soul to death, as you had just said, but yet, even though he dies, he has offspring. Even though he dies, he's going to have prolonged days. Yeah. Even though he dies, he shall prosper in his hand. What a contrast. You have to be scratching your head. Who is this? Like the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch must have been asking, how could that be? Well, without the what well, us knowing Jesus Christ fulfilled this prophecy, we'd still be sitting. How could that be? Sitting here saying that. There, there's a verse in uh, New Testament that says that the prophecy of the Old Testament is like a light shining dimly until you get to the brighter light. Jonathan, any comments? Um, yeah, I just, I think about this and the text in the New Testament that always comes to my mind in reading Isaiah 53 is like over and over, especially in watching that video, like, like when we were seeing the clips from the video of the different interviews, the light bulb starts to click where it's like, there's somebody that was mistreated terribly to the point where they were killed because of things that someone else did that were evil. And you get to Romans chapter five, when Paul is kind of discussing how all of this happens and how it relates to people, because in, in the book of Romans, he kind of sets up in the first few chapters that everyone is in the position of a sinner, they're transgressors, they deserve the wrath of God. And then he gets to Romans chapter five, and he says, um, this is how you know that God loves you. And I'm paraphrasing, but he says, by this, we know the love of God that he gave his only son. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Uh, and that's how God's love is manifested. So it's like, you read through this and you're like, that's not fair uh, that somebody would, you know, that, that would happen to someone. Like, like if someone did something wrong, they deserve to be punished. Not some random person that hasn't done anything wrong. But then you realize I'm the one that did something wrong. And Jesus was the one that was punished for the thing that I did wrong. And then it becomes really, really personal at that point. Uh, it's just really powerful. And, and just there's just so much love um, behind what God did in doing that. And he went to Jerusalem knowing that was going to happen. And then that verse again, you know, that all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's close with a reading from Isaiah 8. And then, uh, uh, Jonathan, you'll just... Uh, do our usual close out here. So in Acts chapter 8, an angel of the Lord had told Philip, rise, go down to the south toward, the, toward uh, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. He went down, verse 27, and there's an Ethiopian, a eunuch. He's a court official of Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of all her treasures. He's an important man. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He's returning, sitting in the chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip up to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does, this prop, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, he commanded the church to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And, and that was the biblical response to learning about this. Uh, they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried away Philip, the eunuch uh, saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys for your discussion um, through all that. Isaiah 53 is just a really, really powerful um, chapter, and, and it's really, you see it really hyper-focused in Isaiah 53, but it's the story of the Bible, like all of the Bible, leading up to how is God going to redeem his people um, back to himself, and, and this is the answer. So thank you guys for your discussion um, through that. Uh, to our viewers, uh, if you're watching live, thank you guys for uh, your comments, for your uh, patience and going through that with us. And uh, if you're picking this up on the podcast later, thank you for uh, your download and listening in. If any of y'all have any questions uh, or anything that you want to discuss further about this or any other Bible topic, um, you can submit those at BibleQuest.org and we would be happy to uh, do that on one of our shows upcoming. But that's all that we have for today and we will see you all, Lord willing, next Tuesday.